0: You're listening to Dental Talk from VivaLearning.com. Welcome to Dental Talk. I'm Dr. Phil Klein. Direct composite restorations are an incredibly important and necessary part of everyday dentistry. The key to success is using the right tools with proper execution. Today we'll be discussing the chaotic world of composites. Our guest is Dr. Matthew Burton, an established dental practitioner in Illinois for over 13 years, as a matter of fact and founder of Burton Dental Innovations. Dr. Burton, it's a pleasure to have you on Dental Talk.
1: Likewise, Dr. Klein, thanks for having me.
0: First, um, I'd like to congratulate you on being both a dental practitioner and an inventor, which is really cool to do those two things. Uh, Certainly keeps life exciting, because I know over the years, many of our innovative products that we all value and depend on every day were conceived, if you can use that word, right in the dental operatory. Does that apply to you as far as how you thought of and, and uh, developed your invention? Absolutely, it has. Um, you know, we're in it every day, and
1: we see uh, the areas that need improvement and in the areas that we're lacking in. And I think that that's important um, to you know forward progress in the dental industry. So yeah, it was it was a problem I solved that I saw that needed to be fixed in every single day operatory practice.
0: What made you get so interested and focused on composite restorations?
1: They just fascinated me from the beginning. Uh, when I came out of dental school, uh, I, we didn't even have to have a set number of composite restorations done. Um, graduated in 08 and it was kind of at the, the threshold of, is it amalgam forever or is this composite thing gonna stick? No pun intended. Um, and, and so there wasn't a lot of emphasis put on it in my education. And as soon as I got out, I quickly realized that this was the real deal. And I was just always fascinated with the fact that we could build something from nothing um, and make it look so nice and, you know, and provide a service to these patients. And it was also kind of a challenge. And, and I just embraced the, embraced the challenge and, and just went through the turmoil of, of learning how to, you know, how to get proper technique and, and watch the materials change and um, and just really fell in love with it and, and continue to strive every day to just continue to get better at it.
0: So what do you see as being the greatest advancements in composite dentistry in, let's say, the last 10 years?
1: I think first and foremost is the materials. Um, the materials have come such a long way in the last decade. You know, we're, we're starting to really harness in on on getting a strong material that's you know that's also has the ability to have a low shrink rate and even combining the two and using them in different areas of the preparation to achieve perfection in in different spots based on what those materials use so i think materials is number one and then number two has been you know definitely the ring that was that was an interesting invention when it first came out and it's kind of funny i think that it was kind of invented for a different reason and it was utilized differently than it was, you know, what we use it for today. And I think that at the beginning it was, you know, a very basic rod um, that was kind of used to make do with Toffelmeyers. And um, and now today I see it as a stabilization, you know, mechanism that kind of supports the structure while we're, you know, in the framework, while we're placing our fillings. And then beyond that, the you know, the the contoured matrix bands, which I think are so important that we've learned so much about how the form of the you know of the matrix band and, and everything that's set up at that particular moment before you put a drop of material in there, that form is what the final result is going to be. And it's just so different than what we were doing before with amalgams where we could just kind of pack everything in there and then shape it after we're done. It, it needs to be done beforehand.
0: Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, preparation is key. And just to make an analogy, I, I was involved with building my house in California many years ago. And uh, when we were painting the inside of it, It took more time to prepare for painting than it did to paint the whole house. So if you don't prepare well for a class two restoration, for example, using a composite, you're going to pay for that down the road. So you found some stress points, right? You found some stress points for the practitioners, some struggles that they're going through regarding direct composite restorations. So what did you do? Yeah. Tell us what happened.
1: Absolutely. And I think we all share in this, um, you know, we've all been to those moments where, you know, something didn't go quite right. And, um, and it, a lot of it is experience, um, but it's different kinds of experience, you know, just because you can, you know, place a white filling and put anatomy into it and, um, and polish it, it doesn't mean that you're going to get a good result or a great result every time. You know, there's just so many things that go into it, um, all the way from the patient's capabilities to, you know, the size of the amalgam that's in there now, or is it a new lesion? You know, does the. Does the prep extend and kind of turn the corner of the line angle? And so there's a lot of a lot of the experience comes from being able to assess on the front end, to your point about being prepared, you know, and looking at that and say that one's going to be tough. Right. You know, I'm, I'm good at what I do, but that's that's going to be tough. And, you know, I think that it's a matter of, of just starting to. Take those experiences that you've had and and incorporate it into everyday practice and, and start at the basics and the fundamentals. And that's one thing that I I like to talk about is it's it's all about the fundamentals. You know these even these pro basketball players and professional athletes. You know what are they doing before the game? They're they're practicing dribbling, right? <laughs> and we all know they can dribble, but and they're doing it in different ways. But they're just they're just harnessing the fundamentals, and it's important to not forget them and and just expect everything to just you know just pop into place and be okay because you know it's it's all about the setup and and how we do it. And so um, you know, when I was digging into this and, and really starting to figure out what was going on, what I did was I started eliminating variables and I started testing different ring systems. And what I realized was that I had the same I had the same issues no matter what ring I used. And so I was like, well that's not it. So then I started mixing the matrix bands with different ring systems, for example, I would use, a you know, maybe maybe it's the matrix. So I would use PaloNet matrix bands with Garrison rings and, you know, then Garrison's matrix with Triodense rings and vice versa. And And yet still there was one step that was continually a struggle and it was it was the wedge step and i think that you know there's two two things that are really really important in the setup that matter the most because the ring is the, really the last thing that goes on but the two items that go in before which is the matrix and the wedge are they drive the bus and those are the two the two things that make or break um the situation and and especially the wedge
0: what were some of the things you were experiencing with what you were using before you invented this new system, which we, I'd like to talk about, because I, I saw the video uh, on your website, the three D video, which which was very interesting, how this device works. I know you say you tried a lot of different things. What was the failure point, or what was the the weak point, I should say, in your yeah. restoration?
1: That's that, that's great. So what I was finding was that um, you know I would get into certain cases, like you know our prep our prep designs, we can control sometimes, but. I don't know about you doctor but i feel like a majority of the time i can't you know like i'm i'm kind of pinned on where that amalgam ended or or where the failure you know where the failure occurred and you know how wide the prep is and how deep it goes subgingivally um and some of sometimes those things are not in our control and we try our best in you know incipient lesions to control those things and and then the system works perfectly you know that we currently have but as soon as you get outside of those kind of like tight parameters then the gloves are off, right? I mean, the rules change. And so I found with like deeper preparations, um, especially adjacents and things like that, is that I could, get, I could get my matrix band in there and everything would be like, okay. But as soon as I put the wedge in, no matter what, you know, and I tried, I was using Teflon tape for a while. Um, and there's been such unique ways by different doctors uh, throughout that I've read on blogs and, and super creative in ways to like pack Teflon in there to help seal the margin. I found that I was getting tired of that. You know, like it was just, it was still taking too long. We needed something different. But the wedge step was where everything would kind of fall apart, you know, and, you know, I'd get my ring on there and I would just look and the matrix band was now dented and, and bent and and the wedge wasn't properly sealing the margin. And so I had had about a week of this and and I don't know if it was pure fate, but I had a struggle bus a week and I just got crushed by a lot of these adjacents and just deep fillings from you know old failing amalgams and i went home frustrated and i was just like there's got to be like something i got to figure out something because i can't do this forever and um i woke up at uh, about four in the morning with this idea of well what if the wedge split in half and um and that's that's where it started and i went down and i just started um you know, I drove to my office early that morning and, and started just dumping wedges on the table um, and saw, how can I replicate this? How can I try this?
0: What would happen if we split the wedge in half? That's what your, your dream was? or that, that's, I don't know if you dreamt it, but that's what your, uh, your yes. thoughts were in the middle of the night. So you thought of sure. the actually splitting the wedge so that it, there was a separation between them so that it would, I guess, compress when it was placed in the embrasure?
1: That's correct. I was just trying to figure out when I was driving home that day is how how can we get a wedge to be more flexible and to move in different directions at the same time. And and that's where the idea came in. I needed something that sat lower in the embrasure that allowed the papilla to be there because that's that was the problem I was finding was that the wedge was being driven like by the papilla, right? That's it was pushing it in any direction. So we needed something that would allow the papilla to be there but could kind of slide next to it and and seal the edge and then that was that was when the idea came was well what if what if the ends of the wedge were free and it just it just
0: split in half it allowed it to just compress a little bit as it slides in the embrasure and again i saw the video and it's amazing how those 3d animators demonstrated what this does
1: so there's a couple of different you know a couple of different ideas uh, behind this and my my original um, and that's kind of the most, the most common thing now and the most simple to use is the, is the wedge. Um, but I've also kind of took it a step further and, and put a pre-contoured matrix on it uh, for smaller, more ideal cases. So if you, if you had a pretty slam dunk case, maybe you don't have to put a matrix and a wedge in there. Maybe you can just put it in as one. Um, and I've always liked that concept, too, of, of having the ability to, like, pop something in there in a one step. And so that's uh that's kind of where that idea was born but it it came second after the after the wedge idea.
0: Yeah, what is the name of this?
1: The name of the wedge is called VersaWedge. Wedge. And so I uh I kind of came up with that um and um my father-in-law helped me actually. Um because it was it's just such a versatile thing, you know, to be used in in any situation, it can be used in ideal cases. It's great to seal adjacent class twos because we, you know, when we start to get into adjacent composites, we need, you know, we need a wedge that can seal two different margins at the same time. And, um, and it can do that. It can do subgingible. And so the Versa is for versatility.
0: If you want to see this wedge in action, you can see it online and through a 3D animated video, which I described earlier, at BurtonBands.com. B-U-R-T-O-N-B-A-N-D-S.com. That's correct. That is correct. Yeah, so and that's worth seeing. I mean, if you're if you're doing class 2 direct restoratives, it doesn't matter what you're currently using. You may love it for the education, it's worth seeing. This is a completely unique design in a wedge. When I first looked at it, I thought what you invented had the matrix band attached to it and that was that was the actual device. But you're saying you sell the wedges but for those cases where it's ideal where it works and I see you have posterior ones and anterior ones. You slip this wedge in, it has the matrix band on it, and you're pretty much done. And then if you have to, there's a secondary wedge that goes in the opposite side of the embrasure, so it'll go in on the lingual, right, or the palatal. And that will add some additional contour, I assume, to the box.
1: It would. It would it'll help, uh, help kind of seal some irregularities. We've been getting a lot of requests for more sizes, which I always knew would come. And um, so we are in the middle of developing those, and we should have those out July or August this year. When um, did
0: this product come to market?
1: The product came to market right before, it was February 19th of 2020.
0: Oh my gosh, (laughs) you got to be kidding me. Wow.
1: Literally, we finished everything right then in Chicago midwinter was our first active trade show where we had had product.
0: I practiced endodontics for almost 15 years. I was very set on certain tools that I used in the endodontic office, but I was always open to different types of hand pieces and different types of file systems. Just for the standpoint of education, I want to be sure I'm doing the best I can for my patient and for efficiency. I'm sure this thing is a huge time saver.
1: Yeah, it is. And um, to your point about the, you know, having the tools and and always trying to keep up with it, but not, you know, not straying too far from your your boundaries and, and your comfort zone, But I do think that that is something that I went through as well. I, you know, I got really, really comfortable with certain things, and I would see something else and say, "Ah, that's not going to work." But the things that did work, um, and the things that I slowed down and tried, and just really got to understand how, why they work, and what their function was for, then that's when you really take off, you know, and that's when you can, when you can really start to push your limits in uh, in other areas, and and while you're pushing your limits. You know you're going to end up with a great result. It is a time saver. It takes it takes away a ton of the gingival margin flash and, and seals the gingival margin, um, which interestingly has been our fail point, right? I mean that's that's where we see these things fail. We don't see they're not failing on the occlusal. They're always failing in the box. And I think that we need to really, as a profession, just really pay more attention to that area and really understand why. Because we've tried to switch materials. You know, we try to put glass ionomer down there. Uh, We thought that that was going to solve it, but it didn't. And um, I I think, you know, the wedge has more to do with it than we give it credit for. It seems like a very simple, a simple thing, but, you know, sometimes the devil's
0: in the details. You develop something that increases the chances that they're going to get a really nice uh, seal. They're doing physically the best they can, mechanically the best they can as a practitioner. And then, let the chemistry of the material take over from there, but if you have it, like you said, if you have a gingival void because of a poor adaptation of a band, you're cooked from the outset, right
1: absolutely Goes from the beginning, and it's frustrating because that's that's an unrepairable area without taking the thing out and I was running into that too a lot, where I was you know I would see those things, and so I just didn't have the proper tools. Once you get the proper tools, then it starts to, like I said, just broaden your horizons and relaxes things and lets you focus on other stuff. And then that's when you know, that's when things get better.
0: And this is sold through Young Innovations, right? Your product? Correct. Yep, that's correct. Okay, so if you go to your website, BurtonBands.com, they can get that information. Congratulations again. Hopefully you'll come out with all the sizes that your customers need. We're looking forward to more inventions from you down the road. Well, I appreciate your time, Dr. Klein. And uh, thanks for having me. My pleasure. You take care. Have a good weekend. Yeah, me too.